0: Hello, welcome adventurers to the 26th episode of the Travelog, a podcast which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and
1: Lily Lavin, she, her, we
0: will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons & Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We'll go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore as well as suggestions on what type of counters you can run in the area or what type of characters you can create whose backgrounds are based in the area. This week we're covering the middle and interior of Aum. Uh, I forgot uh, a question to ask Lily in this one.
1: Yeah, so instead of answering a question, I would like to say that I have discovered today that Wendy's fast food restaurant has their own tabletop RPG. Right, I heard about this. Which is just... Yeah, I sent it to our group chat, which is just like, oh, I felt like I was having a stroke while I was reading all of it. It's hilarious. They have, like, the Wendy's mascot girl as, like, a paladin in, like, striped, weird, funny armor with a giant sword with the Wendy's logo on it. And it's free. And it's not, like, like it's an actual playable game. It's not, like, a weird marketing. Like, it's a full rule book for a game that you could play. And it's, uh, what was the description? was, Um... Creeping Veil and the United Clown Nations have us have uh led their worlds into the collective darkness known as the Deep Freeze because their whole shtick is fresh, never frozen, right? Fresh, never um, frozen, which is hilarious. Wow. And so, Vass wow. brought up today that the United Clown Nation <laughs> It's terrifying, clearly, is clearly McDonald's. No, yes, but it's right? terrifying, and it so, is a but deeply so, eldritch evil. who's Who's creeping? The creeping veil. Huh. If 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 United Clown Nations who's is McDonald's, the then who's a uh, who's who's creeping veil?
0: KFC. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Who's the creeping veil? Yeah, let's let's double That's...
1: check. Yeah, it says creeping veil in the United Clown Nations. United
0: Clown Nations is
1: a terrifying concept to behold. I mean, it could also be Burger King because that guy kind of looks like a clown too.
0: So is this our new? well he's obviously the king of one of the nations uh it's
1: also called fresh (laughs) tovia is the wendy's place is called fresh tovia it's okay for everyone who wants to look it up it's called feast of legends is what it's called it's a rule book and campaign and it has a player's guide it's so funny it's free is this the the fight against frozen beef god damn it (laughs) oh and her name the the ruler the ruler is named the clapback queen
0: Oh god, no. No. I hate <laughs> I when I hate when corporations are like uh, wh- what do the kids today say? Uh clap back? Okay. it's F- no, fire you,
1: fresh. I mean I tend to agree with that, but do you not keep up to date with Wendy's lore? No, sadly I don't. They they are actually the clapback queens on oh, Twitter. Okay. They're hilarious on Twitter. <laughs> and they're not like corporate hilarious, they're like actual real life hilarious hired someone good for their social okay that's fair but yes so that's my thing for the beginning of this episode is every <laughs> look up the feast of legends it's so funny
0: get into that lord god gosh okay well thanks lily <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you eat, every- some, eat some Eat some spicy nuggies while you uh, save the United Clown Nations. Kill the United Clown Nations. I don't know.
0: Yeah, is it is it murder? <gasps> do you do you lay them to waste? Oh, you definitely murder. <laughs> God. Hey there, adventurers. Are you looking for a community that connects you with other lovers of D&D, TTRPGs, and general goofballs? Well, Dungeons & Dig Bats is the perfect site where you can go on their blog to see daily TTRPG resources, join their Discord server to have great chats with like-minded people. to love to ask questions, find collaborators, and just spend some time having fun in the D&D space. Check them out on dndingbats.com. That is D N D ingbat.com, as well as check out their Discord server. You can find the link on their Twitter or website. The area between the tradeway and the sea is called the Sea and apparently was prone to flooding, which has made a natural deterrent of Athkatla's expansion. When the season makes the trade road to Athkatla too muddy to travel between Krimor and Athkatla, The Alandor River is used to barge caravans and goods between the two. Calthier is a small fishing village south of Akatla at the mouth of the Spisii River. The homes there were stilted to avoid the worst of the flooding this region experienced. It has one tavern and not much else of note, but it is famous for a fish called Bertolin, which looked terrible, tasted great, And was a delicacy throughout Am. There's also the skeletal remains of a sea serpent wrapped around the hull of an ancient ship, that can only be seen at low tide near the settlement.
1: That's pretty sweet. It's the it's the closest city in Am to Moran. Just pop over that mountain peak, and you're right there.
0: Yeah, it's like a it's a one. There's many small fishing villages along the Sword Coast in this area. I like that this one is kind of like ruddy and muddy and has these stilts. It it has a very cool vibe to it. Like if I was ever to do, I don't know, a film diversion or wanted a really cool battle map, like something visual, uh, in my D and D, I would love to set it in this like stilted small town. I think that would just give like immediate flavor for the characters to play in.
1: Yeah, Calathear, its also got a pretty good name. Yeah. I uh, I also like the Ziharastria floodplains. Mm-hmm. It's just a, the two of those together. I think is a really cool name. Yeah. Also, <laughs> a little little uh, note here that I don't know if you're going to get to in the next sentence about Crimore. My favorite thing about these barges mm-hmm. that go down the. Um, what did we call it again? The
0: uh, Alandor uh, the, the River. river. Here. Yeah, yeah, the
1: Alandor River. My favorite part about these... Sorry, I've got so many maps of Om now. Here you go. Now I've got my one that involves. <laughs> I was just looking at the southern one because Calathear is on the ocean. Yeah, yeah, it's on, on the ocean. That's what I was saying. It's right above. If you could pass those mountain peaks from Moran, it's right there. But um, yeah, the Alandor River. So they don't... A lot of them don't use sails. They attach donkeys on the shore and the donkeys (laughs) pull the barge from the shore and i just freaking love that i think that's so funny you just have like 20 donkeys pulling this large flat boat (laughs) full of crates which when you guys went to crimore none of you saw it but um filled our ranger who went down to the docks to talk to someone did see donkeys pulling barges i remember describing it and i just think it's so funny it's so funny it's fantastic it's creative
0: it's cool yeah i I don't know about cool but it's uh, (laughs) cool i guess yeah yeah um i think i should make note of this as we do in kind of other times that we're exploring the whole country, we're moving our way from the shore inland. So we're going to start from right. the shore and then slowly move, move our way with all these small towns. So yeah. Right. Cremor is the caravan capital of Am. Many caravans are sponsored and arranged in Am, but the goods are loaded onto barges there and towed up the land or river by horses and mules on the river road until they can reach their mustering point at Cremor. Yeah, there it is. Some folk say that nearly every caravan in Room passes through Cremor in time. The city was surrounded by crumbling walls and was known to be the home of numerous pests of all sorts, from rats to snakes. Cremora was free of major crime, but was a place where many things thought illegal in other lands hid in warehouses. The town was in a constant flux in population. 2,000 permanent residents, but can rise up to 80,000, and the tone of the latest group of caravanners set the atmosphere on any given day. The guards of the city are notable for their red leather armor that they wear and the snake soup that is a delicacy here. A bit of joviality in Cremor is the Theatre of Joy, a shared amphitheater complex from the time of the Shun Empire on the north end of the city. It is an informal temple for Lira Mili, and Soon and the old actors' outbuildings behind the stage storing reliquaries for all the three faiths. By mutual agreement, Soon is worshipped from dawn till high sun. Millie's faithful perform afternoon concerts and services till dusk, and Lyra's Joybringers dominate the theatre at night. Sometimes, shared services are held, where Lyra's aspects as Joaquin's regent is also invoked, and the theatre erupts in a wild party for all four deities, especially after the caravans roll out for another season. The Shadow Thieves have a number of spies planted in the town to keep tabs on the comings and goings of caravans and traders. However, the Guildmaster of Thieves has declared Creemore a theft-free zone, Due to some unknown favor owed to the Cry Trapper family. In fact, the Shadow Thieves keep an eye out for independent thieves and thwart their attempts at thievery to protect their bond. Yeah. To build on that.
1: Yeah. It's that um, Cremor is too important to have thieves rampant in the city
0: because it's it's right. Because then people would just. It's such an important
1: caravan stop that they can't have it. If they didn't make this weird pact among thieves to not thief here, it would be too good of a place to thieve. That no one would go there, and it would ruin a big part of the economy, which even even criminals rely on the economy. Yeah. <laughs> so what ends up happening is they end up just sitting there and waiting for caravans to leave and stalking. Them. Right, right. There's um, outside of Krimor, there's something called the. Uh, what is it called? The cutaway. Where for, I think, a mile and a half, two miles, they've completely flattened the ground and removed all trees. Mm. And no one is allowed to camp or stop in the cutaway. It has to stay like that. And so immediately on the other side of the tree line are big caravans of people who don't want to pay to stay in Grimoire or um, don't like all the intense laws that are there, which I think is kind of cool. It's it's described as an arrow shot. Mm. As far as the arrow can shoot is... No trees are allowed to grow and no one's allowed to camp. Yeah. Funky little, funky little thing. Oh,
0: that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. I like Remor. It's a very like, yeah, it's a very utilitarian city. Like it sounds like a place you would not want to live. It's also in this floodplain. So like in the rainy seasons, it can get really muddy and really gross,
1: I think. Oh yeah. It wasn't mentioned here, but from the description I read, every city or every single building has about a halfling size level of dirt and poop up the wall. And so they have something called the big step into the buildings where it's like a two foot tall step so that the doorways at least stay clean. Because apparently <laughs> the place is just like it just smells like poop because of all the different yeah, pack going animals through going through it. Yeah. They just don't have the infrastructure to yeah. properly clean it. So everyone's just like, whatever, we're used
0: to it. Also, I, I know that. You say this, but I know you're also reading a lot from the Volo's guide. And Volo just likes to tell talk about how things smell and are terrible, so <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. But yeah, it's um it's a, yeah, it's a really cool city, like definitely not somewhere you want to live, but I think it's a really cool one. We went through there in our adventure, but it's a really cool one to go through and just kind of see this like center of industry and yeah. changeover and I like this like agreement they have with the shadow thieves it's really cool it gives them a lot of gives a lot of insight into the shadow thieves as an organization
1: you were only there for a night but i liked it you were able to like buy some illegal stuff not illegally i really liked how they were like "Uh, what we had was when Talon wanted to go buy something that was against the law because part of the way that i played up they get rid of thieving and stuff is there more things that would be illegal are more tolerated legally here right to kind of assuage the thieves from being thieves so like um, our character Talon, who was a criminal, went to go buy something that was illegal in Crimor and she went to an actual store. Um, I mean, you were playing Talon, but um, inside the store, the proprietor of the store was still acting like they were selling it in a back alley. So like Talon walked in and they were like in the corner <laughs> yeah. with their hood up, smoking a pipe, being like, yeah, what you want? What you want? Quick, quick, quick. Show me the money. And it was just like, you're running a store. And they're like, yeah, but I, 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 I'm still a criminal. Shut up. You're a store. I liked yeah. it. Had a very, um, <laughs> more pork vibe. To it with legislating criminal activity instead of just outlawing
0: it. Perskal is the granary city, the clearing house for the bulk grain produce grown in Om. It is a significant caravan stop despite its small size. It has a surprisingly large half orc population that dates to the use of many orcs by the Omnian armies in 1235. Many orcs gained their freedom and stayed in the area where they were at least tolerated. They married poor humans and started businesses. Most performing heavy labors or acting as mercenaries and caravan guards. The wealthy in Per-Skulls are the halfling family. Few pureblood orcs are left as many left in Meriden. Walled gardens are of fashion for the wealthy in Per-Skull, as Shanti is revered here and each garden is seen as a private shrine to her. The only thing of odd note in perskull is the rumour that the old patriarch of house sternal still roams the tunnels beneath the family estate as his dabblings in necromancy Gave him an horrid. I love that this little like half lich or something. I I love that. I love the fact
1: that he's just like roaming. That this weird little freak is just running around in the tunnels underneath the estate. Yeah, they're like, oh, oh that's, that's great, Grandpa. Uh,
0: what is he doing? <laughs> Why ahead.
1: is this weird little wretched freak? <laughs> yeah, we have a have a half orc in the campaign. Yeah, yeah, um, they would not from Per Skull, but from the area.
0: Did you read about this and then Vass chose to be an orc, or was Vass always wanting to be an orc and then you found this like perfect spot for it?
1: Orc came first and then I just it was like yeah. oh the lore checks out yeah 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 of course we're in the future though so everything yeah. has kind of spread out a bit more so they're from closer to uh, what you have written down as Omwater yeah so yeah true
0: but yeah no uh I like it I like I like the idea of this like half-lane rich town but then like you just see halflings and orcs walking together doing business together and stuff I think that's a really funny or like I don't know unique image for the realms where it's like usually human or elves or depending where you are big and small yeah big and small and like working together I think that's a really cool dynamic to have as a as a yeah know, something different also to like just show orcs walking around with jobs and stuff like that I think is really good Yeah
1: that's something that I find Funny about this whole, I don't know, online debate about them. Like, some people are really against getting rid of alignment or getting rid of the idea that all orcs are evil or all drow are evil. And I find it really funny because it's like, it's never been that way. No, Like whenever people are like, you're changing fundamentally how things are because of snowflakes. I see people talk about this all the time with them trying to move away from inherently evil races and stuff. And it's like, I'm sorry, Drizzt alone proves not all drow are evil. There's no such thing as the one good drow. If there's the capability of one, it means they're not inherently evil. But also, the lore is f- freaking filled
0: with orcs yeah. like this. It, it, and it's like we talked about uh, in Termish or in the, those mountain ranges. There's, when you read the lore, you read it as, oh... The orcs are actually fighting off the goblins or the kobolds so they don't attack the human cities. Maybe they're not doing it for the human cities, but they are fighting these other races and keeping things like a standstill. And they're making their own towns and villages. But then the lore says savages uncivilized stuff like that so the lore is tinged with racist or colonial language which is what should be changed but the actual lore as written it kind of plays it both ways yeah it kind of plays it both ways in that regard it's written in colonial terms but if you actually read into it you're like no these orcs are fine they're not evil they're not raiding the cities they're just holding it down in their own space well that's
1: that's exactly it it's more so less i would say less the lore and more so the descriptions yeah because like the descriptions are written in these colonial terms of savages and warmongers but then the lore is like yeah you know then they settled in perskull and had a nice life among the halflings and it's like well i thought they were savage warmongers yeah exactly so i've always thought of it as like if you don't want to get rid of the lore that grumsh because the thing is is then people go well it's like a it's like a holy divine thing it's not they're it's not that they're all evil it's that you know the nature of why they were created taints them like the gnolls you know right, right, right. but the thing is is you could definitely make grumsh's touch on the orcs way more interesting and they're not chaotic evil yeah. because of any force like need to kill and eat and pillage they just, I would play it up more, and this pulled through with Varg a little bit. They're just, like, kind of stubborn, yeah. A- kind of stubborn people with anger issues. So, like, they're completely capable of joining real world. It's just that Grumsh's influence on them yeah. has made them react to things <laughs> they don't understand and don't like with anger. Which, of course, if you have 10,000 people like that on their own running around, mm-hmm. they're gonna start a war. But... That doesn't mean they're incapable of living a normal life if they're told, hey, when you get angry at something you don't get, you can pout and get a little defensive, but that doesn't mean you have to pull out a sword and stab. And they go, huh, yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Can I have a job building houses? And I just think I just think that's a more interesting way to interpret the, um, you know, orc nature.
0: I also, my first love in fandom was from the Star Wars fandom. And often in Star Wars, if there's ever... Especially if there were races that were alien races that were first seen in Jabba's palace, they would be like, oh, well, that's a warlike race. They're a warlike race. And that's a term they use so often. I've seen people use this for terms for orcs and stuff. Warlike race. Right. Humans are a warlike race. Humans always have wars. (laughs) Like, we are a warlike race. If you're going to sum up everyone to a fucking... Yeah, exactly. Like, to not be a warlike race, you would have mostly peace Halflings. through the majority of human history we've had wars
1: <laughs> yeah exactly that's exactly the thing and i do i don't think that getting rid of these strict kind of colonial racist tinged alignment descriptions has to make everyone just different flavor of human because that's what people are afraid of, you know? Well, then Orc just becomes big green human. And it's like, well, no, because again, they should, in my opinion, think differently than humans. They have a different biology and they're created by Grumsh, right? And that should pull through. And I think you can make a more interesting (laughs) character by just saying they're regular humans, but they quick to anger. They're quick to, when they don't understand stuff, they're
0: quick to... Well, and just put some effort into it. Like, they, they run off of a lot of Tokian tropes with elves and dwarves, but, like, put some effort into it. Elves have tree houses. Dwarves have underground mines. Make new t- culture, technology, new architecture. Just put some effort into your world building, Yeah, where, like, that's all you need to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. I feel like it's very easy to be, like, They function as normal people, but, you know, orcs react to stuff with anger. Yuan-Ti react to stuff with duplicitousness. Humans react to stuff with—well, I mean, humans are the blank slate. So humans react to stuff with whatever they want. Halflings— react to stuff with like my confidence usually for humans. Yeah,
2: I
0: love in Mass Effect it, the the thing that humans uh, pretty much they're like oh yeah like this race is really smart this one lives forever. Humans their whole summation was that they were impulsive. It was pretty much like yeah humans are hold my beer because yeah. the computer program was like yeah I thought you were a bunch of idiots and I summed you up to be idiots and you are idiots but you're idiots I couldn't sum up well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. You can do this as DM, but like, orcs, like, yeah, say they like, build with bone more, like, they're not as afraid or as like grossed out by bone. so they add that to their architecture to their to their buildings to their like everyday life they use more materials they they have hides like have it like but they have houses yes but just say like that yeah there's their sense of style their sense of what looks cool nice what they like it's not just shiny rocks and gold like humans they they find a dormant another thing add that to their culture and just make a really interesting group of people there's a town called Emiskir. This was one of the towns decimated by the Murnan invasion of Alm, but we'll cover the basics of the town. Yeah. Like Perscol to its north, Emiskir is an agricultural way station. All the estates, plantations, and individual farms between the Tithia Road and the small teeth cart their grapes, wines, beers, dates, olives, limes, and other fruits, vegetables, and grains through Emiskir. They don't ship directly to Murren. Formerly called scar this town was a site of the human's greatest victory in the Ogre Wars. Crown Prince Emil here received a jagged scar from his right temple to his jaw from the ragged claw of the ogre chieftain Barkran, though Imol killed the ogre with his next blow and led his troops to victory afterward. Imuskar Market is centered around a great oak of immense size that seems older than Alm itself. Unlike other markets, where noise and bustle rule the day, Imuskar's market is quiet and relaxed. The great oak's bark has innumerable initials and messages carved into its bark, though local guards will arrest anyone doing so today. Too much damage to the Great Oak and it will die and take Imiskar with Wham. it. The old Wizard's Cave is a lonely place up on the hills east of the town, a little more than a hillock cave above a sulfur spring. Folklore holds that the fumes and smell are are the nine hells itself. Imiskar was rebuilt and the oak survived, but only a few small businesses. Were rebuilt afterwards.
2: Eh,
1: nice little stopover town if you needed, with a little oak where you could have maybe a cute moment if you have two characters having a little uh, romance. You know, they carve their name into the oak. And the chance for a cool quest in Old Wizard's Cave if you're feeling you need to put a
0: quest somewhere. I think, too, I like this. I don't know. We'll cover a couple of other places like this, but, like, Imaskar, have it be this, like, obvious ruins outside the town or, like, a smaller town within, like, a border of ruins to kind of just show. Yeah. yeah it's not that recent of a war, but recent enough that they haven't rebuilt everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just to kind of show this, like, I know. I like having ruins of re- of events like that. Cause it's a good way to world build. Build world build, a bit of, like, giving people exposition of what happened in history without just having someone tell it to them, you
2: know? Yeah.
1: It, uh, reminds me a lot of, it's got a little bit of a overlapping flavor with brost because brost has the, uh, great oak. That's, I mean, it's been petrified
0: into stone,
2: right,
1: right, but right. it also is centered around a giant tree. <laughs>
0: that giant tree is a temple though, but a little bit of overlapping flavor there. Also, I'll just, clarify real quick, that the Ogre Wars talked about in that section. It was uh, ancient Ogre Wars about uh, 400 years back, not talking about the Murrion invasion, which was also led by Ogre Mages. Along the tradeway is the tavern, the Battle Scarred Bard. The tavern is known for its good and secure stable and strict stable master, as well as an amazing kitchen. The tavern itself is on the side of rough, with many fist fights in the tavern itself. There is a large outside dining area to avoid this, though, and the Goliath bartender will shut down any fights that become too animated. The bartender also has a strict rule of no bards performing. The sign above the tavern is a singing bard with an axe buried into his head. <laughs> However, it is the food that brings people to Ballasgard Bard. They are famous for their plate of fried and battered vegetables in a sweet sauce called a plate of gold, as well as a plate of baked garlic drenched in olive oil with a strong assortment of pickles called a warrior's head. The food is known for miles around, and it is said to be the best stop along the tradeway in all. It's making me hungry. I, I will say, like, baked garlic and then a bunch of olives, like... I would want bread in my, I don't know, or like some like don or something, because like just eating straight up baked garlic by itself sounds like a lot.
1: Oh, I imagined it was. I imagined it was on bread.
0: Yeah, probably on bread. It's probably.
1: On bread. Yeah, but see, this this is cool. I like that it's like to pull it into Perskull. Um, on my map at least, it's closer to Perskull than in Niskar. Yeah. Uh, to pull it into Perskull, I think it's kind of interesting. You could play it up like how I was saying, like, you know, like the psychology of different races work differently. Fundamentally, they have different brains, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe how it says here that this is kind of on the side of rough, right? Yeah. Maybe um, the one of the ways the orcs of Perskull are able to live with the halflings, because I, part of the reason I like the flavor of halfling and orc is they're so fundamentally different. Like right, one is yes. really big and likes fighting. One is really small and likes taking two years to do anything and sitting around drinking. Yeah. You know, like one is super chill. One has no chill. Yeah, right. And so I kind of like, you could play up this idea that like, one of the ways the orcs have been able to assimilate so well is that like, you know, whenever they're at their job and they're like, Mm, mm, I really want to just like rip off your head right now. They put a little notch on a piece of paper or something, right? And then, like on the weekend, all the orcs who have notches yeah. on their thing go down to the battle scarred bard and just beat the crap out of each other. <laughs> right. And this is this is that. them this is them getting the grumsh out of them. Yeah, you know they're like, I need to work this grumsh out of me, so I'm gonna beat up Glarg over there. And Glarg's like, Yes, and I'm gonna beat you up because I stubbed my toe on the third day. I just like that that'd yeah. be a pretty funny little world building. And
0: when they're done, the halflings are outside with some a plate of food and they share a plate of food together.
2: <laughs> it's <laughs> like, like the work. It's, uh, it's a work trip. I
1: love. Yeah, I love that. It's quite funny. It's a way to like uh, kind of be like, yeah, see the orcs. We haven't completely removed the fighty nature of the orcs. But, you know, we've it's I, I think that'd be pretty fun.
0: Pretty funny. I also find it really interesting that the two, like, talked about foods here are both vegetarian, wherein I think a lot of people, when they're being lazy about medieval food, just go meat, meat, meat. Yeah. But, like, there's something too good-sounding vegetarian things here though uh, battered vegetables in a sweet sauce sounds like a lot but I can get behind it yeah
1: I mean they have a there's quite a few vegetarian recipes in the new the lay
0: that book they That's released cool. the recipe book also uh, there's a thing I didn't write down but the Volo's guide it talks about the Volo puts in like a- a- anecdotes and he talks about the Goliath bartender or the giant bartender picking up two people who are fighting and just knocking their heads together and then dropping them down <laughs> as they're knocked out
1: <laughs> I love that I love that
0: once the cap of the Theocracy of Minasar, Minersvale is a small section of a large ruined town. Visitors to Minersvale congregate at the Maiden's Bath, a shrine to saloon combined with a public bathhouse. This building is still maintained and frequently thinks its enchanted baths that magically refresh the water and stay at constant warm or cool temperatures, no matter what the season. An unused seven-story temple to saloon looms over the city's center. So the Theocracy of Minasar uh, was actually four cities each venerating a different god and all the cities were eaten by a roving clan of white dragons one winter in the past
1: i love that where is it on the map
0: uh it is kind of along that little lake in the cloud peaks like right on the edge of the cloud peaks Ah, it's
1: not on mine then
0: yeah and i like this like big bathhouse like especially in a place of arm where there's a lot of rich merchants like i could see it being a bit of a retreat yeah to go to like as we'll in, but like a bit of a like a place to go if you are on a trade on a business meeting or a trade meeting to like the different parts of om you go stop off there
2: yeah
1: i like that it's cool i always like bathhouse i think they're funky
0: also with like the thieves the shadow thieves maybe they have like you can do like a gang meeting at the yeah at the bathhouse classic omwater is a major stop for travelers between crimmore and kesku kick along the esperta road it caters to the caravan's trades though the guides here will lead parties into the cloud peaks for climbing or exploring. Almwater is a spread out town with low stone walls around it. Major gates controlled the trade traffic into town, with minor gates for foot traffic. The key factor in Almwater is that it is the most diverse population all of Alm, having the lowest human population, a thriving halfling population, and a strong mix of other races which are not specified. So I would set Almwater as a town where a lot of Maztecans relocated, because it just says other and you could have it as half orcs or dwarves but I think it'd be fun to be like you know when you have people who are kind of immigrating to to your country yes you have them in the large cities but there's also a lot of times smaller towns that become real centers for immigrants yeah
1: yeah, Um. so in our campaign, um, on Water was the one you went through that was destroyed. Right. Do you remember? And the Blue Blades were there yeah. rebuilding it? Yeah, yeah, the Blue Blades. Like, yeah, and yeah. why am I drawing a blank on what it was called? The one that was like half day away, a day away, which was where Varg was from, was mostly half works.
0: Yeah, it was called um, um, it was, Penshaw. Yeah, so... Uh, you made up Penshaw though, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I, w- I would say like tipped back sea, but how that kind of like large population on water. As like this kind of yeah, this place where they've settled in a more rural setting away from like the main capital. I think it'd be really cool say like that. There's some tabaxi that really are from the mountains, kind of like leopard tabaxi. Say like they're the climbing guides and stuff like that. Right. Shepherdston is a an agrarian village of shepherds and dairy farmers that lie between Imuskar and Esmaltaran. When Esmaltaran was the capital, Shepherdston was, like Trailstone, a common caravan stop for folks traveling west to Imiskar and on to Moran. Its recent notoriety comes from being a hideout for Tetherian nobles who fled their country during the early interregnum. No Tetherians remained here long, thinking themselves unsafe from their tormentors. Ironically, no mobs ever thought to look for them here. Folk here uh, say that the many nobles buried their riches and jewels in the Umar hills to the south, but few survived to retrieve them.
1: Wow. Nice little,
0: uh... I was just gonna say, yeah, a nice little town. I like this as a place where, yeah, say, like, one Tetherian family stayed there. One, like, Bane-worshipping rich family stayed there so you can have this, like, weird estate in a small shepherd town quest as and, like, people are going missing because they're, like, sacrificing people to one of their dark gods or something like
2: that.
1: Yeah, or if you wanted to play character, you are the descendant of one of these families and your buried treasure, um, you are now... Um you know, uh, despotic and you know, nothing. Yeah. Uh, and it is your life goal to find this buried treasure. And so you're working towards getting the spell locate object. Oh, that's a great idea. Because otherwise, otherwise it is impossible to get it. Mm -hmm. And so once you're able to learn locate object, you're able to find the treasure and the DM can do whatever they want with that. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Maybe you, maybe that's what you were talking about. You uncover that your family was secretly doing stuff with demons yeah. and <laughs> and stuff. Um, and the treasure is not what you thought it was. Right. <laughs> um, and you, like, awaken something terrible. Um, Ooh, that would be cool. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. It also gives you a reason to um, adventure instead of just being like, well, I'm going to go find the treasure right now. Because Locate Object, I mean, actually, Locate Object is a not that high of a level spell, so... Third level, second level, maybe that wouldn't work, but maybe there's another spell that you're working towards or some other goal that you have to do before finding it. Or, I mean, if you're okay with, you know, starting finding the gold at third level, the whole party's down for it. Or if you're a half caster, say a paladin, mm-hmm. you don't get locate object till fifth level. So once you get to fifth level, the party goes back to your hometown and finds the gold. And, you know, maybe this quest line takes you from fifth to seventh or something. I don't know, that'd be cool.
0: I think it'd be fun too if it is for gold cuz I think you get your party together and be like, "Don't worry guys, like once I get this, yeah. we're rich, we're rolling in it." And so they would like really be behind it and then when you find out it's something dark, then it could be a great way to yeah. lead into a quest line. At the crossroads of the South Road and the Emmercourse Course is a village called Gambiton with one tavern, the Gambit Tavern, one inn, Gambit's Inn. On the opposite sides of the intersection, the gambit of the town's name comes from a long ago battle when the Prince Emil split his troops, Imal's Gambit, at the crossroads and sent troops west and south to surround and destroy the Small Teeth Ogres at the site of Imaskar. This village was also destroyed by the invasion of Muradin. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely decimated. <laughs>
1: yup. I mean, we, in our campaign, it was, uh, cause I don't see why forever these things would be destroyed. I mean, yeah. In our campaign, when they, uh, when the players, or my campaign, um, Steven's a player and went through here, I made it a swamp right. village because it's directly south of Esmel Terran in, um, on the banks of like Esmel. Well, kind of on the banks of, what is it called when a river mouth meets a lake? Oh, it's
0: called, um, Oh, I can't remember. I can't
1: remember. But part of Lake Esmel is half beautiful and amazing and half um, brackish and kind of dark. And legends say no one knows how deep it goes. But either way, I made it a swamp village that was quite small because it had been destroyed and then rebuilt. And uh, I really liked that
0: flavor for this place. Mm, yeah, it's really cool. A little little swamp village on the edge of a lake. Terran is a lavish and opulent resort city of Om. Playground of the richest merchants and the highest of social elite. Though Esmaltaren was once the capital of the land, many of its buildings, including the royal palace of Duharda, has been purchased by the elite as personal vacation homes or by mercantile companies as short-term but stylish boarding houses and fest halls. In recent years, halflings have become the dominant portion of Esmeltaran's population. Many displaced halflings' refugees fled the city and now begin new lives. Under their influence, the city is now thriving and has become home to a renowned adventuring company known as the Blazing Swords. Uh, I want to talk real quick about the Blazing Swords, who are an adventuring company, which is a great way to introduce a group patron or dynamic in the game uh, from the get-go, you know, to have this like you work for the blazing swords and they give you their first quest lines or like, you know, the ones to, to branch off or they, or your party members can just go to there anytime they're like confused of what to do next.
1: Yeah. I think it's a good way to have a reason for the party to be a party right off the bat. It's a good reason to a good way to start not starting in a tavern. It's also a good way. Yeah. If you want that group patron dynamic where everyone wants to play, you know, a fighter, I mean, not a fighter, you know, paladin, ranger, fighter, any of those classes, Um, even a war wizard uh, or a bladesinger. Yeah, I think that could be cool. They're right there.
0: Blazing Swords. Really cool name. Yeah, exactly. Really cool name. Could be
1: a good basis for a campaign.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Because they're in Om and like Esmolterra in this kind of resort city, you can have them first start out as, okay, clean up some monsters in the local area to go with this caravan or this merchant to whatever business they have all throughout the world or all throughout all yeah. and really like grow
1: from there. Ismeltarren was the first not small city slash town slash village that the party went to in our current campaign that is happening kind of in the lands of intrigue. And um, I really enjoyed it when y'all were in Ismeltarren. I thought it was a really fun city. I tried to play it up as like... You made a
0: real meal out of it. Like you made a really
1: good aspect of it. Yeah. The party, the party was there for maybe 11 sessions and I played it up as like cosmopolitan, but small town cosmopolitan. Like they act like they're Mm. Paris and there, a lot of people do live here. Like to give spoilers for the next paragraph, there's a thousand taverns, 400 fest halls, 750 inns, which when I said this exact sentence to the party, they instantly got overwhelmed. But the idea that I played up is the um, resort city. And I love the idea of a resort city in a medieval world. That's so I like I think <laughs> I think of resorts and vacation as very modern concepts. Yeah. And so I like the idea of plopping that into a medieval setting. So I played up Esmeltherran as very like that. So it's like Yeah. It's it's like cosmopolitan. They think they're they act like they're the Paris of the world, but they're only the Paris of the world during the time when tourists are there yeah exactly (laughs) because otherwise they're just some they're not very big like they're they're big it was the first big city you went to but compared to like afkatla or moran there it's not that big um and i really liked i just really liked that flavor for it this kind of like small town but cosmopolitan idea of like you know we have a lot of money and we're not big enough to really need this much money so it's just like Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was going to say too that because it used to be the capital, they probably had all these nice buildings and a lot of buildings, probably a lot of buildings and infrastructure yeah. that on the off season is empty. But on the on season it's filled, it's bed and breakfast, it's breakfast, it's like, you know, restaurant stuff like that. And yeah, I like because Om is such a merchant and money-based uh, economy, it is kind of modern in the fact that it probably has a richer middle class. Or upper middle class, which is why we have vacations and we have tourism now is because of middle class being such a thing. So it makes sense that they have the time to do that. But yeah, it's really cool. Exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. Also heavy
0: criminal presence because, of course, tourism calls for thieving. Sarana Hirschas is the owner of one-eighth of the land and businesses of Azaltaran, known as the owner of Soon's Silk Slippers Dance Hall and the Fest Hall and rumored to be a wizard who has done many favors for the council. The Shadow Thieves control the myriad of small gangs that operate in this city. The thieves have a long-standing pact with the council of six to make Esmaltaren an assassination-free zone. The most common guild-sponsored crime here is theft and forgery, though few realize this right away. Objects, papers, jewels, and other items are stolen from their owners, forged, and copied, later placed by the thieves where the attendants and owners can find them. There are 1,000 taverns, 400 fest halls, 750 inns, and over a dozen resorts for the rich and not-so-rich alike. When,
1: um, real quick, if anyone ever brings your party to Esmiltaren, if they walk up to a guard and say, can you recommend an inn? You have to make them go, well, welcome to Esmilterran. There are over 1,000 taverns, 400 fest halls, 750 inns, and over a dozen resorts for the rich and not so rich alike. (laughs) And it has to be like the elevator pitch. Like they just walked up to the info booth. And it's just when you'd say it like that, it's hilarious. You will get a funny reaction. And it's it sets the tone for the city very well if the first person they ask for directions says that as if it's like a scripted thing they say.
0: I think, too, like it's you fantastic. should have it to get this like a thousand taverns in there to make it that like every every converted mansion or like home that's turned into like a bed and breakfast or like a hotel has its like hotel bar yeah yeah yeah. like there are there are nice taverns and then there's hotel bars where you're like oh this is like or three seats one thing <laughs> like
1: <laughs> yeah 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 or it's like some guy phil just has like a, a backyard garden where he sometimes sells beer yeah exactly like I consider <laughs> that one of the taverns i just really like and it doesn't result for the rich and not so rich alike <laughs> it just sounds so much like an ad
0: it does the former royal palace was purchased long ago by a consortium of 15 families from Athcatla, Moran, and Krimor. Each family owns a part of the castle, but the Great Hall is owned by the Council of Six as a meeting place for its families. An unwritten law makes Dahadur a place where no blood can be spilt. And the Great Hall is allegedly haunted by the ghosts of dead kings who rise up to strangle anyone who dares battle in the Great Hall. That's cool as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of dead kings rising as you like. And there's no assassination zone for the Shadow Thieves Guild, I think is a really cool idea. If, yeah, say that it happens and the party is mm-hmm. uh, investigating it or like they kill someone like to have this thing of like the even the shadow thieves are like no we don't do that here. yeah yeah yeah. i like that too um also
1: um not mentioned here is uh i forget if he's a mayor or whatever
0: whoever is like the
1: standing guy who runs as melterran mm-hmm. fetishizes what is the place, oh, oh, the place. he like fetishizes calumshan right. culture and he calls him he makes everyone call him the passion right yeah and nobody nobody likes it or takes him seriously because it's it they're just like what the heck dude you're a mayor <laughs> and i personally i think that's hilarious
0: yeah it's very funny um, he like, sometimes i don't include these because though that is like second edition but yeah to pull it up it's very funny.
1: I I think yeah it's from a long time ago but I included it just cuz I thought it was very funny. It's just like this random guy who's like not even very close to Callum Shan. No. He's in a place full of halflings and he's like everybody called me Pasha. It's like dude, you're like a French halfling guy. What? <laughs> it's very funny.
0: Uh I also I didn't actually write anything here about like Esmel uh, well, we'll talk about the waterways and mountains and everything, I think, in another episode. This We'll just do this, the towns and cities in this one. Myth Larest lies just east of Esmeltaran along the Gem Road. This ancient city was a mythal cloaked city that protected benign lycanthropes from persecution. It was attacked by a cabal of local wizards trying to steal the power of the mythal and was saved when Saloon took it into a demiplane that can now only be approached at the night of a full moon. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool uh, if you want some weird lycanthrope city that people see at night pretty cool or like the it, players are sleeping and like see the like glimmer of it
1: it does have a different flavor than or it has a similar flavor to that other city i forget where it was that you could only see at nighttime um oh in the mm. uh moon Isles. still yeah. quite cool i think um the best way to handle this would be it materializes around the party while they long rest oh
0: as they're sleeping yeah that's so cool i i think yeah have someone on watch just be like okay yeah you look around and then you see a weird shit just be like what is happening no you you see um in the distance as the city starts
1: to shimmer into existence under the sparkling moonlight um like a mirage on the horizon in a desert and suddenly you look over and wood floor is starting to be created underneath your companions a wall is building a wall is materializing with swift speed looking like it's about to sever gabriel in half <laughs> um and you're you're materializing inside the foundation of a building yeah. and everyone has to wake up right away <laughs> yeah. and it's
0: like skill challenge to not get crushed that's really cool and then yeah when they're done they look up and there's like a, a nice where uh werewolf like well, well i guess benign it's like a really like hairy person like a like how are you doing
1: <laughs> <laughs> they make like a, a mad dash upon waking up this skill challenge to pack up all their stuff especially if you have a party that like likes tents yeah. <laughs> and like has a has a carriage with horses you know this mad dash to escape getting crushed by this materializing building and you end up Next to a large tower in like your pajamas, holding like a half, holding in your arms like a bag, (laughs) your party's goat, and like a half collapsed tent are all in your hands as you're sitting here with like droopy eyes and messed up hair being like,
2: what?
1: (laughs) And you turn around and a werewolf walks up to you or a half werewolf or whatever. And you're like, uh,
0: (laughs) what? (laughs) Am I still dreaming? Very good. (laughs) Great, great scene. Great scene. <laughs> Kekzul is a dirt-to-diamond story twice over. A ra- yeah, 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 I'll is talk it about it soon. Kekzul? Kekzul is a dirt-to-diamond story twice over, a rarity even for Om. Founded in the year of Breaching Bulet, after the gold and iron strikes along the ridge were made by the Kekzul clan, originally spelled Kukzul and pronounced Zul, the scheme goes down 180 years later when the mines played out. People resettled Kegzul over 100 years ago, but it wasn't until 1355 DR, with Pulith Tanslov's newly discovered gem mines, that Kegzul truly became to li- truly came to life again. Natives pronounce Kegzul as Zula, pre- sneering at those who call it Kekzula. Oh, so it's just Zula. It's not even Kekzula. So it's Zula. Huh. Weird. This place huh. is called Zula. Sorry, all The gem road connects it to Esmaltaren and beyond. In 1345, seven Talmatar released a virulent plague in the city of Kekzul that killed many, or sorry, Zula, that killed many uh, from the consumption. The perpetrators, located by Anonymous Tip, could not be identified after the mobs were done with them. Some think that at least two were members of Catlin Kath- High Society, and uh, Tanlatar are followers of the goddess of poison and disease. Yeah, Talona. Talona, yeah, is her name. Uh, so
1: she's evil and cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Of course, you want to like her um, so much. Uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, if you're DMing and your party is not from Om, you have to pronounce it Kexula until they get there. Yeah because Telling it says it says they, like
0: this is Zula they say they
1: sneer at those who call it Kexula so like yeah if you as a dm call it Zula the whole time they're gonna get there and be like Zula and if you tell them meta-wise your characters would pronounce it Kexula it's not gonna have the same ring to it or the same effect
2: yeah um
1: so definitely pronounce it Kexula the whole time and when they get there make fun of them and be like ha uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this was this was stupid setup yeah but uh <laughs> For not a very funny joke, but still, you gotta do it.
0: There are four districts, and their eight wards are Emerald, Mithril, and Platinum; Sapphire, Gold, and Electrum; Jade, Silver, and Bronze; Agate, Copper, and Harbor Moon. A deliberate slam against Waterdeep. Oh, uh, somehow, if
1: I'm thinking correctly, Harbor Moon is one of the uh, currencies, currencies of Waterdeep. Oh, okay, right.
0: The lesser in value the gem or coin named, the lower the status of the address. Okay, that makes sense. Boundaries are marked with stone arches whose keystones have inset gems or trade bars uh, above their carved names. Anyone who moves a gem or bar from an arch is immediately executed, often by the observing party as Zulian guards their new status jealously. The jewelers' quarters of Zula, Emerald District and Platinum Ward, has the largest concentration of gems per square yard outside of any mine in the realms. As they are cut, polished, and made into jewelry here, the main garrison of the city's gem guard is in the four-story tower at the center of this area. Curiously, the shallow thieves do not have major influence here. Various independent thieves gangs operate freely. Traditionally, rogues in Zula are found within the tavern of Harbormoon Ward in the Gate District. Wow. I think this is a cool place if you want like yeah rich city if you want magic stones and all that or like if people uh, I don't know ask like hey do you have a pearl I need it for my uh, spell stuff yeah. they're like oh we don't have that here but yeah Zula is just up north like they'll have well I guess not pearls but they have everything you need
1: if you want to give a little travel or um, be annoying about spell
0: components this
1: is the perfect place to do that yes
0: also I just think it's uh, an interesting thing like you got yeah. I think probably there's a lot of dwarves out here because of the mines yeah, yeah. Uh, given the rarity of dwarves in Aum, few humans or halflings recognize the stonework of the great bridges over the Valdor and the Speladur, known as the Axenstar Bridges, as dwarven. These two identical massive bridges span those rivers at the highest flood stages. They were in use long before the Shun Empire appeared, and only the barest hint of wear can be found on their stones. They are known as the Star Bridge, Western Bridge, and the Axe Bridge, the Eastern Bridge, named for the runes each shown on its rail facing the road. Dwarves and scholars who translate the barely visible runes on the bridge found that both date back to the height of Shanatar. The Star Bridge was originally named the Carlin Bridge for its clan's hero king. The Ax Bridge was named has two names stamped on it, known either as the Clan Bridge or after its clan, the called the Cole Delver Bridge. Both were built before the fall of Cathar's Vale and are nearly 7,000 years old. Wow, old bridges. Very old bridges. And though it cringes at its backwater status, given it by the Society of Riches in Athcatla, Esperta has grown proud of its unique status as a military city. The Shield City of Aum. Esperta has more military related businesses, including armors, swordsmiths, blacksmiths, and mercenaries, than any city north of dusky Tautar. Though Alm's largest standing assembly of troops is stationed here, soldiers are common only in the northern and western quadrants of the city. The east is dominated by mining trades and the miners who work the iron and nickel deposits in Troll Mountains. The south is the home to Espertan artists, musicians, and sculptors. Few thieves stay long in Esperta, given the overwhelming military presence. Some thieves, however, are employed by the military as scouts, spies, commandos, and saboteurs. The Shall thieves here operate some fest halls, gambling houses, loan sharks that cater to soldiers. If any of these businesses gain prominence in reports from his men, the general who targets these places for unfortunate accidents during the siege weapon drills. There is an orthodox shrine to Grumbar, a tavern named Roots of the Earth, on the eastern edge of town. It is a rough and ready tavern that caters to mine workers. Former miner, tavern owner, and new convert Torgan Minerson retells the tale of his visions while trapped in a cave in there, there. Wow, Minerson.
1: Um, Grumbar is the uh primordial, yeah, exactly. You know, he's like God. stones. I mean, they're not gods, they're primordials, but he's the uh elemental embodiment yeah. of earth, one of the four. Um, elemental primordials that remain on Toril. The rest went over to
0: Abir. I like this idea uh, as like the, the military city. If you wanted to play a more yeah. militia-minded or like former veteran or former recruit of Aum, you can have them know a lot about Esperta yeah. and kind of see like Katwa as the big city or like, oh, that's not a place for me. You know, that's that's like where the rich people go.
1: Yeah. It's true. North or south of Imniscar, mm-hmm. just down the uh, mountains. Um, I don't know if it's part of Alm or Tithier or Mirandan. It's right above the Weldath um, is a place called Trade Meat.
0: Oh, that place is gone. It's, at, it's utterly yeah, destroyed. Um,
1: <laughs> if you do put it in your campaign, because I don't see how it wouldn't come back. Yeah, true. Just where it's positioned on the road, it, like there has to be a city there. Um, but, it's too, it's too, it's too central. Um, but uh, change the name to Caravasar. That's what it used to be called mm. way back when, and then they changed it to Trade Meat. Yeah. and it's just like I'm sorry, we've got like Imniskar, Kalathir, Atkatla, Perskal, Esmel, Tehran, um, Esparta, and Trade Meat. Trade meat. Yeah. <laughs> no, okay. Every everything has this cool kind of like Spanish flavor to their names and stuff you know northern african flavor and then you got trade meat no, no, no. even shepherdston yeah i feel <laughs> could maybe use a different flavor for its name because like i one of the things i like about um personally is that everything is flavorful you know it's not called water deep or you know uh greenest or yeah. easting <laughs> it's called esmeltaran it's called Kalathir true you know yeah. which is so which is which is so cool to find the one you are looking for you must take the uh, Speckmill road to calathir and find the serpent which entwines the ship you know that sounds so much better than yeah. uh take the trade road <laughs> to uh trade meet and find a broken <laughs> boat you know and i yeah. i yeah, yeah, like shepherdston i'm sorry you have to go to esmel teran and speak to the to the um you have to go to esmel teran and speak to the pretentious pasha so you have to go to shepherdston and talk to phil like okay come on you know, you keep consistency in the names here
0: yeah i agree <laughs> i i like uh yeah as a character here i would love to play a dwarf who like knows all or has studied basic amount of history about khazad or at least knows about it and goes around on as like one of the few dwarves there or just telling people like well i built you know my people built this place we built it from nothing yeah. you should be thankful to us <laughs> you're like this is on the back of dwarves <laughs> as someone who always
1: talks about liking dwarves i have yet to see you yeah. play a dwarf
0: i know but i just haven't had the right the right time to do it i don't Talin know. could have been a dwarf talon could have been a dwarf that's true i just wanted the variant human theme
1: but yeah this place is full of uh good stuff to make characters from i think my favorite character is that um kind of uh despotic more so um former than despotic i guess more so like uh what's the word for it like um noble
0: Oh, disposed, disposed.
1: Former noble. I don't know. Hit hard times. Your purpose in life is to go to the Umar Hills and find the buried treasure. I think that's my favorite character idea from the places we have discussed today. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, originally I said that Loki's object might be too low of a spell level, but rethinking it, if you played a paladin or a ranger or any half caster that gets it, level five I think is a good time for that to come up in the campaign um yeah yeah to pop off as a yeah. kind of deeper storyline or to because, go like, if we went personal with, quest you know playing a bard level three might be too low depending on what your dm has planned but um level five might be a good time to start this little quest level five is a good time to introduce like you know larger machinations and maybe this is one of the things that in- this is a great way to tie in one of your players to your larger plot um and if you're a player DMs love stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Um like Vass was always like
0: Yeah.
1: We've referenced Varg a few times, and Varg's player was like, Am I a railroadie player by making it so that my character has this need to go home? And it's like, no, it helps the DM plan because it's like I know that no matter what, Varg is going home. And so I can plan stuff. I can plan interesting things on the way home. Yeah. yeah. And I never have to be like <laughs> oh, no, the party doesn't know what to do now because when I don't give them something to do, they work their way home. And so with this thing, the locate object, find the former families, yeah. um, you know, find your former nobles buried gold to reinstate your status as nobility that you lost hundreds of years ago. It's great because when you run out of things, when you end a thing to do and the DM's like, I don't want an NPC to pop into existence and tell you what to do, your player character's going to be like, all right, We have to go find another quest because I need more power.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very true. That's it for our journey today. Make sure that you travel on season so you don't get stuck in the mud. Next episode, we'll cover the small peaks, uh, sorry, the cloud peaks, the small teeth, Ogre Hills, and all the waterways, uh, kind of all the places in between the cities that we covered today. That's cool. Thank you, Lily, for joining me. Yeah. Thank you for the amazing cover art. Yeah and blend us for theme music around the fire. You can find them in Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. Remember to rate, review, subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and have a great long rest. Bye.